I'm reading this morning from 1 Peter 3. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, Valerie. Good morning. I want you to go back, if you're married or have been married, to that first year of marriage. Think about that for a moment. What was it like for you? I remember being surprised at my wife's responses. I mean, she wasn't there every second to bless me. But more than that, I was stunned at how selfish I could be, how petty, how easily irritated, how quick to anger if things didn't go my way, the way I thought they should go. It usually doesn't take very long for us when we get married to become disillusioned at how our marriages are working out. They're never quite what we hoped for or expected. You know, I think that's because God planted in our hearts, every one of us, a desire, a longing for Genesis 2. We studied that a few weeks ago where God created Adam and Eve, and brought them together. And there was a beauty in the relationship, a freedom, a mutual delight. They were thrilled in being together. And it says they were naked and were not ashamed. There was no fear, no shame, no sin, no selfishness. And all of us long for that in our marriages. But the reality is we live in Genesis 3, where sin entered in and Adam and Eve hid from each other, and they blamed each other. The woman you gave me, Lord, (laughs) she gave to me and I ate. And we blame and we hide and there's shame and guilt and selfishness and independence from God that's entered into every one of our hearts and therefore every one of our relationships, including our marriages. So we live with this disconnect of longing for Genesis 2, but living in Genesis 3, and therefore we live with this pain and this hurt in our lives. But then when we come to Christ, give our lives to Him, He invades our lives, and He begins calling us to something greater than Genesis 3. He begins restoring our hearts and our lives, and He wants to restore our marriages as closely as possible to what He originally created them to be. He wants to bring the kingdom of God into our lives and into our marriages. But how do we do that? 
How do we actually begin living more in line with that instead of in this petty, irritated, selfish world that we easily fall into? Well, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at what both Peter and Paul wrote in the New Testament. As they are writing the churches and they are challenging us as believers to begin restoring our marriages to what God designed, and they have incredible insight that we want to look at over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to look at what Peter has today in 1 Peter chapter 3, what Valerie just read. Now think with me for a minute about Peter. I don't think he would have been easy to be married to. Do you? (laughs) He was hard-headed. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Always having to be corrected. Jesus told him in Matthew 16, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. He rebukes him because his tendency was not to focus on what God wanted, but what he wanted. And you know what? When we bring that into our marriages, which we all do, it causes problems. Well, Peter had experienced that, but he'd been married for a while. And by the time he wrote 1 Peter, he'd learned some wonderful principles about how his wife could influence him and how he could influence his wife for good. I'm guessing he learned all this the hard way, but he learned it and he shares it with us. And so we want to look together at 1 Peter chapter 3 so that we can begin to focus on what God wants us to focus on. And let me just say, our tendency, I know every one of us in our marriages, is to focus on the other person and what they are doing wrong. Right? I mean, that's just naturally what we do. We start keeping score and making lists in our minds about all that they're doing wrong and we get frustrated and irritated. And what Peter does, what Paul does, what God does is he challenges us to not focus there but to change our focus and to focus on our lives and what we can do to improve things ourselves. So that's what we'll be looking at today as we look for help for a hurting marriage. And let me just say, if you're not married, if you're single, this is as much for you as for everyone else. You may be married someday and you'll need these principles. And if not, there's still principles that are important for any relationship to understand if we are going to love one another well and be God's women and men in this world. First principle I want to bring out is hinted at in verse 1 and in verse 7. Notice... My translation, in the same way, you wives, or NIV, wives, in the same way. Verse 7, which is addressed to husbands, you husbands, in the same way. Now, a little, a little uh, study here in, in interpretation of the Bible. When you see a little phrase like that, you have to say, wow, I wonder what that refers to. In the same way as what? The wives are to respond in the same way as something and the husbands also. What does it refer back to? I believe it refers back to the verses immediately preceding this, verses 21 through 25, which address Jesus and how he responded. So wives are to respond like Jesus did and listen to what it says about Jesus and husbands are as well. Verses 21 through 23 of chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, 
nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So in this section, Peter says, look at what Jesus did when he was mistreated in his life. He did not retaliate. He didn't utter threats. He didn't revile in return for how he was rejected, though he did not deserve it. He'd never sinned. But instead, he kept entrusting himself to the Father, whom he knew loved him and would take care of him. First principle we see here is that we need to remember in our marriages that Christ is our example. Jesus suffered in his life. He was mistreated. But he responded in a way where he did not retaliate but kept entrusting himself to the Father. And Peter says in the same way, wives and husbands, when you are mistreated in your marriages, you are to follow Christ's example. Folks, marriage involves suffering. It does. Because we're married to someone and and learning to become one with someone who is not perfect yet. And so we will get mistreated and we will mistreat our spouse. But our job is to follow Christ's example and not retaliate, not escalate, not get into a fight, but instead keep entrusting ourselves to the Father, knowing that He loves us, He'll take care of me, so I don't have to. So when our spouse responds wrongly, maybe gets angry at us, jumps on our case, is critical of us, we can say, God's taking care of me. I don't have to retaliate. Instead, Lord, how do you want me to respond in a loving way? That's the first principle that Peter brings out. Remember Christ is your example and follow his example. You see, there's never, hear this clearly, there is never a justification for demanding our rights in our marriages. But look at all the things that she's doing. Look at what he's done to me. Look at it. No, there's never a justification for demanding our rights, for keeping score in our marriages. That's destructive. That's devastating. So Peter says, no, remember Jesus and entrust yourself to the Father. Now he goes specifically to wives. In verses 1 through 6, and for wives you are to focus on two things, respectful behavior and a trusting heart. If you focus on those two things, you can make a huge difference in your marriage. Focus on respectful behavior and a trusting heart. What do I mean by those? Notice verse 1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. It says, wives, if you want to respond well, you need to be submissive. Now, Rod will explain more what that means, although in this context, I think he's saying these two things, respectful behavior and a trusting heart. That's what he's calling wives to. But it says in the context that this is when your husband is disobedient to the Word, when he's not responsive to God in some area of his life. Now, this could be that he's just an unbeliever and he's never responded to God. Or it could be he's just 
not doing what he knows is true. He's heard the word, but he's not responding in this particular area in a godly way. Okay, we all do that, men, right? We're not perfect, and so we don't always respond to God properly. And so Peter says, wives, if you want to influence your husbands, what you need to do is um, respond in a godly way. Focus on your behavior, not his. Now, let me just say one thing before we go on. Wives, if your husband is abusive physically or emotionally, you need to get help. You need to talk to somebody. Talk to a pastor and we'll help you find the help you need. Uh, it's not appropriate. It's not loving. It's not respectful to just keep enduring that. So get help if you're being abused. So how does a wife typically respond? Let's look at that first before we explain kind of what these two points are, respectful behavior and, and trusting heart. How does a wife typically respond when her, wife, when her husband is not obeying God? Well, notice verse 6 at the end of the verse. You're her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, is my translation. There's a double emphasis on fear there. I think this is what, from my observation and from what I see in the Scriptures, this is how wives tend to respond. They see their husbands not loving them well, not caring for them, not caring for the children, maybe the way she feels like he should be, not responding to God, and she begins to feel afraid. And that fear begins to drive a woman. It may be a fear of being abandoned. It may be a fear of being hurt. It may be a fear of looking bad to others because you don't have a good marriage. It may be a fear of being left lonely. It may be a fear of simply not having your needs met. But when husbands don't respond well, women tend to begin to feel fear. Maybe a fear of divorce, fear of alienating your children or whatever. So in response to that fear, women tend, wives tend to respond in certain ways. I want to highlight three different ways. Notice Peter says this, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Without a word. Why do you think Peter throws that in there? <laughs> because that's the tendency of a woman, right? Of a wife. He's not responding well, so I'll use my words just to try to encourage him to respond differently. Only really what you're doing is you're beginning to nag and criticize. You become the nagavator, trying to direct him in a different direction, trying to control him through verbal manipulation. And Peter says... Though that's your natural response, ladies, don't do it. Don't do it. A man will not be won over by that. Why is that? Why doesn't it work? Women try it all the time. Why doesn't it work to kind of gently encourage him? Or it could be harsh. It could be a lot of different ways. But verbally to keep reminding him of what he should be doing. Why doesn't it work? Because we men are such wimps. I mean it. We're wimps. We have such a drive in us as men for respect. We long for respect. And we're always looking for that somewhere. And when our wives, in whatever way they communicate to us, when they communicate, you're messing up, 
You're not the man you should be. You are failing here with me, with our children, etc. When, when you verbally keep reminding your husband of that, what a man does is he either gets angry or he shuts down and withdraws. Because we have this longing for respect, and when we don't get it, when we get criticism from our wives instead, we so long for respect from our wives that when we get criticism, we shut down. And, and just think about it. It just doesn't work, women, so give it up. And think about it for a minute. If he's not listening to God, what makes you think he's going to listen to you? Essentially, what women fall into is mothering their husbands. And, we, and men hate to be mothered, to be treated like little boys. Well, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you, know, and, and you start mothering us, and again, we just shut down. We just rebel. It simply does not work. We don't want to be treated like little boys. That's one response of women, and Peter says, don't do it. <laughs> Another response that's not healthy is that women will often blame themselves. Well, he'd be a better husband, except it's my fault. I'm just not responding well. And if I just respond differently, and women, out of their fear, take all the pressure on themselves. Instead of being honest about her, how their husband's treating them, they take the blame and they begin to try to beat themselves up and try to motivate themselves. If I just try harder, and ladies, that doesn't help either. That is not healthy, and it doesn't, it's not respectful to your husband. It doesn't, respect, it doesn't help you or him. A third way that women sometimes respond is simply to want to avoid making waves, to just placate, to just, okay, let's just uh, keep the kids from disturbing dad and let's make sure that everything's okay and, and just try to smooth everything over. And you're dying inside emotionally because your needs aren't being met, but ladies, that doesn't really influence a husband either when it's motivated by fear. So how can wives respond in a godly way that can influence your husbands in a good way and win them over, Peter says? What does it mean to win over? I think, and I've experienced this in my marriage, that when my wife responds well, it awakens in me a desire to be a better man, a better husband, a better father. It awakens in me a repentant heart that wants to do better. That's what winning over does. Doesn't that sound good? And that's what you can do, women, if you're willing to respond as Peter tells us here. First, he says this, verse, the end of verse 3, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste or pure and respectful behavior. Peter says this, wives, if you want to influence your men, and boy, I've seen it in my marriage, I believe Peter is thinking. <laughs> if you want to influence your husbands, focus on your behavior and two aspects of your behavior. Is my behavior pure? And is my behavior respectful towards my husband? Is it pure? Is it, am I doing what's right? Am I doing, as far as I know, between God and me, am I doing the right thing? And if my husband is pressuring me to do the wrong thing, I won't. I'm going to put God first. I will do the right thing. If he's angry at me and trying to pick a fight, I'll do what's right and I will not retaliate because that's Jesus' example. And on and on. Is my behavior pure? Okay, focus on that. And secondly, is my behavior 
respectful? Am I demonstrating respect towards my husband by the way I am responding? Do your words and your actions communicate respect to him? Do they communicate, I believe in you, or at least I believe in God in you? (laughs) And I believe that God is at work and you can be a better man. I trust you to handle this situation in a good way. You see how that communicates not you're screwing up, you're blowing it, criticism, but rather it communicates, you know what, I trust you and I trust God in you. If you begin to treat your husband like you want him to be, it awakens something in him to want to be a better man. What a contrast between mothering him, right? So you have to think, wives, about how am I communicating respect to him? Am I communicating respect or criticism? By my words and by my actions. If you'll make it your goal to do that, God will really show you what that means. That doesn't mean you don't say anything to him, but it means when you communicate your heart, you say it in a way, you know, Rather than you blew it, you never spend time with the kids and look at the, you know, they're a mess and it's because you're a uh, wash out as a husband, etc. Or do you say, you know what, Joe is, you know, he seems to be going through a hard time right now, but you know what, he really looks up to you. And you can have a wonderful influence on him. Let's talk about, you know, things, ways you can do that. Let's, because you know what, I think, I think you can have a tremendously good impact on him. And that's just a, an example, but it just helps you think about, okay, what are you communicating, wives? Are you communicating criticism or respect? Your, respect, your behavior needs to be pure and respectful. And then the other thing you need to focus on, wives, besides your behavior and how you're responding, is your heart. Are you developing a trusting heart? If you have a fearful heart, you will respond poorly. And again, fears are a natural reaction. But if you're developing a trusting heart, it's precious in God's sight and God will use it to influence your husband, to win him over. Notice verse 3 and 4. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Wives, women, what are you putting your time and energy into as your source of real beauty? External, Peter says. Don't, don't put your time and energy in there. He says, put it into your heart. Are you developing a heart that's trusting God, that has developed not fear, but a gentle and quiet spirit that's learning to say, this is a tough situation, the storms are blowing, but my roots go deep in entrusting myself to Jesus. I know He's going to take care of me. Therefore, when the storms blow and my husband doesn't treat me well, I am secure in His love. Wives, this is a powerful influence on a man. Because when we're not responding well and we're kind of being jerks, When we see our wives are centered in the Lord and they have a strength there and a rootedness there, it moves us 
to realize we have no excuses for being a jerk. (laughs) We're forced to face our own sinfulness, and it's our best chance, your best chance, to help us move towards repentance. So wives, focus on a trusting heart. Develop that gentle and quiet spirit so when the storms and difficulties come, you will have that powerful influence on your husband. So wives, that's your part. Focus on your behavior. Is it pure? Is it respectful? Focus on your heart. Am I developing a gentle and quiet spirit or am I overcome and living by fear? Now how about husbands? What does Peter say to us? Well, he only gives us one verse because we can't handle as much, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) How should we respond if we want to influence our wives if they are not responding well, if we are being mistreated? Because, again, that's the context. We're following Jesus' example, entrusting ourselves to the Father. Well, in verse 7, he gives us two things to focus on. Focus on understanding your wife and focus on treasuring your wife. Understanding your wife and treasuring your wife. Now, what do we men often do if our wives aren't responding well? We try to intimidate our wives. We try to control them somehow. We punish them through our silence, maybe. We sulk. (laughs) We manipulate. We do a lot of different things. And Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way, in my translation, as with someone weaker since she's a woman. Peter says, you know what I've learned? Women are physically more vulnerable. They're weaker. And throughout history, men have used their physical stature to intimidate and control women. And Peter says, don't do it. Now, if anyone could have done that, it would have been Peter. And he says, no. In fact, what we're to do instead is two things. First, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, I don't like the NIV translation. Many of you have that. This is just a place I disagree with it. It says, be considerate as you live with your wives. That is too weak. Essentially, what that sounds like to me is, just be a nice guy. Be considerate. No, that's not what it means. Live with your wives in an understanding way means... Get to understand her. Seek to understand who she is as a woman and what makes her tick. And then live with her accordingly to that knowledge. Seek to understand her and live with her accordingly. Understand how her emotions work. What does she love? What hurts her? Understand her heart. Understand her behavior. Now, I know a lot of you men out there are going, I've tried to understand my wife. I don't have a clue what makes her tick. (laughs) Okay, I felt that way. (laughs) I understand that. True, it's a lifelong task. But men, we are fixers. I understand that. That's how we respond. And we want to think our wives are like instruction manuals. And if I just read the manual, I'll have her down. And that doesn't work. No, our wives are much more like a mystery novel. And you read the page and you think, I think I see where this is going. (laughs) And you turn the page and you read the next page and you go, whoa, I had no idea. It really is a mystery. Your wife is a mystery. And you know what? That's as God intended so that we will always be drawn to learn more and more and more and realize, yeah, I don't have her down, 
but there's more to learn. Women are more complex than men. Men are like 57 Chevys, you know? You just kind of get them running and they keep going and they're pretty simple. Women are like Ferraris. Any little thing gets them out of tune. Well, men, God is telling you to lift the hood. Look at what's in there and begin to understand. Okay? That's what Peter's saying when he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Get to know who she is. I've been married 28 years, and I realize there's so much more to learn about my wife, but I've learned some things that affect the way I treat her. She's an introvert. She loves people. But being around a lot of people kind of burns her out. And I've learned, you know what? After she's been around people, I need to give her some space, alone downtime to recover. Okay? And I'm learning to do that. Uh, Some of you have read the Five Love Languages book. I, I know one of my wife's love languages, her primary one, is quality time. So I'm beginning to understand why I, as a young husband, you know, I would do all these things for her and she'd go, oh, thanks but it didn't really touch her heart until I began to understand her way that she feels loved is through quality time. And so as I began to just hang out with her more, do things that maybe I wouldn't choose to do, but it was an opportunity for us to just be together, that that touched her heart more and made her feel more loved. I'm just giving you a couple examples, men, that as you begin to get to know your wife, you begin to change your behavior so that she feels loved and cared for by you. That's what it means to live with her in an understanding way. Okay? I'll give you one more example. Jeannie and I were having a conversation recently. I came to her and I said, well, um, I was asked to take on this possible commitment. She reacted to me. She was upset. Well, I reacted to her. Well, what do you mean? And so we started kind of having this tension and this argument. And then I stepped back and had a little time and I thought about it. And I go, now, wait a minute. Why was she reacting? And I began to think it through and realize, you know, we've been through a really busy time in our lives. And she's feeling overwhelmed by too much to do. And the thought of me even bringing up the idea of another commitment was just overwhelming to her. And so I went to her and we talked. Men, that's what it means to live with your wives in an understanding way. Look at what's behind the words, the emotions behind it, and begin to understand what's going on. And if you can't figure it out, talk to her, ask her, hey, what's going on? Communicate together. So, live with her in an understanding way, and secondly, treasure her. Again, I don't like the NIV translation. It says, treat her in a respectful way or something like that. Treat her with respect. Um, in verse 7, but here's what it more literally, show her honor or value as an equal heir of the grace of life. Value her. Treasure her. I like that word. Does your wife feel treasured by you, husband? Wait a minute, she's not responding well. She's mistreating me. Exactly. That's the context. Understand her, what's going on with her, and treasure her value her. We are not more important than our wives. That's what he's saying here. We're equally heirs of grace. We're not more important than their ideas or feelings, etc. Ours are not more important than hers. We're all just recipients of grace. So let me give you three suggestions, men, 
on treasuring your wife. Number one, validate her feelings. It's easy to feel like when our wife responds to a situation or a comment a certain way and you go, that's a weird way to react. It doesn't make sense to us sometimes. But you need to validate her feelings. Wow, tell me why you feel that way. Let me help me understand it and validate that. That is a valid way to feel about the situation because it's her way and that's okay. So validate those feelings. Don't belittle them. Secondly, value her opinions. Sometimes we men just, that's a dumb idea. I'll figure it out. No, value her ideas. Take her ideas into consideration. See the value of her point of view. Let her ideas influence you. I have a long ways to go, but the reason I am even the man I am today is to a large extent is because I've learned to listen to the ideas and the heart of my wife and let it influence me. It's made me a far better man. Third, appreciate who she is, both privately and publicly, to her face, but also before others. (laughs) My wife's the greatest. And you may say, yeah, my wife has so many faults. Well, you have a choice in your attitude to either focus on her faults, and you could make a huge list, I'm sure, Or you can say, these are the things that are wonderful about my wife, the way she serves our family, the way she cares for others, the way she reflects God to this hurting world. And I am going to focus on those and delight in those and appreciate who she is, how she uniquely reflects God to me and to the world around me. And when I let others know, let her and others know, what I appreciate about her and that there's nothing in life more valuable than her to me. That's what it means to treasure her. When you do that, there's nothing in life more valuable to to me than you, hon. It begins to blossom her heart. When a wife feels understood and treasured, you aren't going to have the tension that you had before. You just aren't. You just aren't. So Peter learned this the hard way. Oh, let me give one more I thought of too. Men, honor her with your time and your money. Sometimes we think, well, it's my money. I'm going to control it. And we're fine to go buy things for us, but to let our wives buy something and spend some resources for her, to bless her, sometimes we don't do that very well. Honor her with your time and your money. There's a little phrase that ends this verse so that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't know about you, man, but to me that is very sobering. Because essentially what Peter's saying is he says, when you don't treasure your wife, your relationship with God suffers. When you don't treasure her and honor her and understand her, your relationship with God will suffer. It will. You can't say you're close to God and not be honoring your wife. That's the obvious implication here of this verse. So that's a challenge to us as men to make sure our wives feel treasured by us. Marriage has its challenges for us all. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy because of our fallenness. 
But when Christ invades your life, he wants to begin to enter in and to help us begin to live differently. For you wives, to develop that gentle and quiet spirit out of which you can now begin to respond with your behavior in a pure and respectful way. Don't give way to fear. But like Sarah, it says, trust God to work in your marriage, in your heart, in your husband. And husbands, don't focus on her faults, but instead make it your goal to understand her and to value her, treasure her. And if we will do these things, we will be imitating Jesus and will be his tools to bring his grace into our marriages and into our world. What a privilege. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Peter and the way he learned through many failures how to love his wife, how to influence her for good, and how he was influenced by her. Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you in a way that will free you to work as we entrust ourselves to you to not keep score but to learn to die to ourselves and love our spouses the way you call us to. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.